The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. So glad to be here with you today, as is always the case when I come. Always happy to be here. Um, that good morning to you is good morning not to you alone that are here, but of all of all of you who are watching by internet this morning. Good morning to you, and the things that I have to say this morning include you who are watching from around the country and the world. I am so happy again to be here. Don't get to come as often as I used to or as often as I would like to. Thank the Lord that I had, did not have to come alone this morning. Uh, Judy and her son James picked me up about 7 o'clock. They left their home about 5 o'clock, picked me up about 7. They'd driven 100 miles, and we drove another 150, and so we're here. And we thank the Lord for that, and... My family is a lot more at ease knowing that I'm with some other people, and so we really appreciate it. Uh, we miss Judy and James. They used to live in Fayetteville for many years, moved down to Kansas a few years ago. They're back in Fayetteville taking care of some business, and they take the opportunity to come to Brian. They came last two weeks ago, and they must have had a good time. Because they're making another 500-mile trip today to be back. And so love on them and make sure they know that you appreciate their presence and that they are loved by you. I love all of you so much. I love all of you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your love for Jesus. I appreciate your love for His church. I appreciate your faithfulness. I appreciate your financial support of this ministry here in Virginia Beach. And I appreciate your love for me. I always think about when I come here, I can come to a place where I know I will be loved and I will feel it. And it feels good. And I appreciate it so much. You're my family. You're my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And I love my family. I love my natural family, and I love my spiritual family. So I thank God for all of you this morning. And many of you watching over the Internet, I know. Many of you I have not met, but I hope and pray that we'll be able again, Brother Dave, this spring to resume our conference and get to see old friends and meet new ones. I hope that works out. But who knows, this this uh, this. Coronavirus keeps springing another variant. You get one under control and here comes another. David and Kathy, I love you both so much. Where's Kathy? Boom. Babysitting? Uh, uh, she, she can't hear him, so everybody duck. <laughs> I love you so much. You both have meant so much to me. I cannot begin to tell you 
what your love and guidance and help and fellowship have been over the years. Thank you for all that love and the encouragement you've given me over these last, what, 15 or 20 years. And for all the teaching and the singing, you both have been just wonderful to me. And with all my heart, a big thank you. It's Thanksgiving week anyway, or it was yesterday. We were starting a new week today, but it's Thanksgiving season. And we've just celebrated Thanksgiving Day in America. And we all have so much for which to be grateful. And for all of you this morning, I'm deeply grateful. I thank Jesus. That's almost blasphemous, isn't it, in this congregation? I haven't gotten I haven't gotten used to saying Yeshua yet, so I'm, I'll be saying Jesus this morning. <laughs> I thank Jesus for all my blessings, for His love for me, for His salvation, for His peace and His joy and His righteousness. And I thank Him this morning for bringing me to the truth about eschatology. Are you not grateful this morning that the Lord brought you to the you to the truth of eschatology? I mean, most of my life I preached the wrong message. Uh, late in my life, he exposed me to this truth, and he helped me to understand it, and to embrace it, and to preach it. And it made a new Christian out of this old man. And so I just thank him for that, that I understand a little bit more about the Bible than I used to. Is it not wonderful when you hear somebody say, we're living in the last days, you better get ready, the end is near. Isn't it wonderful to have the understanding of what last days were about and it didn't have anything to do with us and that we're not living them in the day. It's just uh, wonderful to me and I appreciate God bringing me to that so much. I think about the fact that I could not, that except for His grace and mercy, I could still be preaching Jesus coming soon. I did that for most of my life. But I thank the Lord that he opened my eyes to see that he had already come and he would already accomplished his work. I thank Jesus this Thanksgiving weekend for my family. My sweet, angelic Betty Sue left me in 2015 after nearly 55 years of marriage. And it has nearly killed me. I'm still not right. But she left me with a family that is so wonderful and loving that it almost defies description. And I thank my Lord this morning for that. We had two sons and two daughters who loved the Lord, and my in-laws and 13 grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren. And I think the two little ones that we're expecting in January and February will make 40 of us. Uh, So we're really growing, as John Parra said. And they all love me, and I love them, and they love each other. And it's a little bit of heaven. We're all together. I'm so blessed, and I'm thanking God this morning for that blessing. We were together for Thanksgiving. We'll be together for Christmas. And we've even rented a huge house at the beach for the middle of January, so we spent a long weekend together there again. What a treasure. I say that I'm the richest poor man I know. And my sweet Lord Jesus and my precious wife get all the praise and the glory and the credit. Thank you, darling, and thank you, Jesus. All my life I've tried to stay young and think young, but I just demonstrated to you how I'm getting to be old. Need to help to get to the pulpit. 
Last year I had both knees, surges on both knees, and they didn't turn out right, and they've left me as you saw me now. Uh, and they kind of tend to have made an old man out of me. But I'm fighting it and trying to get better, but I kind of walk like a duck, unstable and wobbly. I covet your prayers. I'm 81 years old, but I'm not ready to quit or give up, but this kind of makes it hard to go on when you have to be so careful moving around. I read a statement a while back, and I may have said it to you before, but I'm 81, and it really feels kind of weird, kind of weird being the same age as old people. <laughs> I heard about this man the other day. Said he was so he didn't buy green bananas anymore. So I'm not that, quite at that point yet, but I'm talking about being old. These two elderly ladies were walking out in the park, and after a while, they walked past this bench on which sit two elderly gentlemen. And uh, as they passed, one of the ladies walking began to kind of pick up her shoulders a little bit and. And a big smile came on her face, and she began to walk a little bit prissy-like. And uh, her friend said to her, oh, just calm down, Susie. Those guys were not whistling at us. They were just wheezing. (laughs) I've had a little bit of that experience myself, but the wheezing part. But from the old people to the young people, this mother's four-year-old son was playing church with his cat. She heard him talking about Jesus, and she peeped into the room where he was, and sure enough, there he was on his knees, had a little Bible on the floor, and his cat was in front of him, and he was telling his cat all about Jesus. The lady thought that was so sweet, and she left him alone and went back to her chores. But in a few few minutes, she heard this unbelievable scream, and she knew that it was the cat. He went running to see what was wrong. The boy and the cat had left the room where they were, but she quickly found them in the bathroom. The boy was on his knees in front of the tub and sitting on the windowsill, soaking wet, was the cat. And she asked, Johnny, what in the world are you doing? And he answered, I I was baptizing the cat. And Mama said, you can't do that. Cats can't stand to get in water. And little Johnny replied, well, she should have thought about that before she joined my church. (laughs) A glimpse of the kingdom. You You here in this church and those who watch regularly are so well fed spiritually by Brother David. You're so well taught that it's difficult to tell you something you don't know. And so don't look for anything new this morning. But we'll just have to revel in what we have. And we have a plenty of that, don't we? God has already shown us so much, given us so much, and we rejoice in that this morning. But you are a well-taught congregation and church, and you're blessed for that reason. A glimpse of the kingdom. This thought has been in my heart for a long time. I hope that's what the Lord wants me to preach this morning. And I hope it leaves you encouraged. 
I hope it leaves you excited. I hope it leaves you truly grateful for what we have in Christ. To me, this is such a beautiful and wonderful thought. I hope you will feel in the same way. And David has already read for us John 8 and 1 11, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Through the centuries, this has been a controversial text. Many early manuscripts just left it out completely, or they moved it to somewhere else in the book of John. And in multiple other instances, down through the centuries, if it was in your Bible, you never read it in public, and you didn't use it for a text to preach from. The reason for this controversy was the feeling that Jesus did not sufficiently denounce this woman's sin and did not condemn her as they thought he should have. He was just too easy, Brother Bob, on a bad sin. So much we don't know about this story, who the woman was. Some have speculated she might have been Mary Magdalene, who became an ardent disciple of Christ. Brother David probably knows who it was. (laughs) And we don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. Again, Brother David might know. (laughs) Nevertheless, this is such a beautiful story to me. And I see a wonderful thing unfolding as the woman in the crowd get a glimpse of the kingdom. Moses' law was tough. I've heard Brother David say there were 633 laws. And if he wrote one, the Scriptures say you're guilty of all. And the penalties for breaking some of them were pretty severe, like getting a death sentence. And adultery and fornication were two of those sins that could have the death sentence. I could read you passages from the Old Testament to prove this, but you already know it. So the scribes and the Pharisees who brought this woman to Jesus were standing on solid legal grounds. For their world, for their day, what they were asking Jesus about and what they were thinking this woman was destined, what her destiny was, was on solid legal ground. They had Jesus between a rock and a hard place. I think they knew his reputation for love and kindness. If he said stoner, his reputation would be ruined. He would probably have been arrested by the Romans because the Romans had taken away the power from the Jews of life and death. Only the Romans could decide when someone should be put to death. This is why on the night of his arrest, they had to take Jesus to to Pilate to get his permission to kill him. They had already decided he needed to die, but they didn't have the authority in their day, in their country, to kill anyone. So they took him to Pilate to get his okay. So as Jesus said, put her to death, he would not only ruin his reputation for his kindness, but he would be going against the Roman rulers of Judea. On the other hand, if he said, don't kill her, just let her go, then they could accuse him of not following Moses at all. So they had him between a rock and a hard place. The truth is, these men were more interested in trapping Jesus than they were in the woman's sin. They were using her to get at Jesus. Some have suggested that the act of adultery here was actually staged, that they set it up 
so they could have eyewitnesses and then bring her to Jesus. So they thought they had finally trapped him. He did not answer them orally, but strangely knelt down and began to write on the ground. I didn't realize it until I was preparing this thought, but this is the only record of Jesus ever writing that we know about. And, and this was on the ground, in the dirt, on the sand. And no one knows what he wrote. But the fact that the scribes and the Pharisees, who had been accusing Jesus, accusing this woman before Jesus, began to leave the scene, leads me to believe that they wrote perhaps about similar sins that these men were also guilty of. And even their consciences would not let them pick up a stone and throw at her, even though Jesus offered that privilege to them. Instead, they filed out one by one. In those days, one Bible commentator said, adultery was rampant. And I often thought that Jesus may have written the names of the women with whom these men had committed this same sin. That's all speculation. But at any rate, whatever he wrote got the best of them. And they no longer were interested in accusing her. They just left the site. And then we come to the verses that we really aren't interested in this morning. The last two of the passage. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are thy, those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This woman and the large crowd that Jesus had been speaking to, when these men barged in, probably dragging this woman and interrupting Jesus, they had just received a glimpse of the kingdom. When Jesus came, he came preaching about a new kingdom. He came with a new message. Matthew 4 tells us from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his forerunner, John the Baptist, had already been preaching the same thing, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to earth during a time of transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. He came at a time when the age of, the, of Moses was fading away and the age of Messiah was just beginning. In Galatians 3 and 24, the scripture says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Well, says the duty, Jesus had come, so the law had accomplished its work. In Luke 16, it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses unto it. So the usefulness of the law of Moses was over. And this is what John and Jesus were preaching as they went about their ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is the same thing to me. The law was ending, and a new message was being preached. In that he saith in Hebrews, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth away is ready to vanish away. And the old covenant was old, 
It served its usefulness. It fulfilled its purpose. And it was dying. It was waxing away. In its place was a new covenant, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Old covenant Israel with their old law of Moses were in their last days, waxing old and about to decay. And in its place, Jesus came declaring his kingdom was coming soon. He said, it was at hand. And I'm so grateful that even though late in my life, our family finally came to understand what the last days in the Bible were all about. They have nothing, as I said earlier, to do with me and you today. Nevertheless, we constantly hear people, we constantly read it, we constantly see it, that we're living in the last days. People see in all kinds of events, especially in COVID, signs that we're living in the last days, and that Jesus will soon come for his people and destroy the world with the fires of the last day. Sadly, this morning, this is what I believed most of my life. The first two verses of Hebrews plainly declare to us that Jesus was born in the last days, and I believe this. But I believe, Sister Kathy, that 2,000 years later, we were still in those last days. And this morning, I thank God again for a better understanding of His Word. I thank God for those who helped me to see the truth. I thank Him for a second chance to get it right. Well, making me willing to say I was wrong so I could get right. Brother Dave, you remember John Anderson at Sparta, North Carolina? A man who's deceased now, but he had many conferences in those early years when I was searching for the truth about these kinds of things. And I can remember one thing that he said, you will never be right until you're willing to be wrong. It was embarrassing to say that I was wrong, but it's more wonderful to be right. And I thank the Lord for that. But there are those who can't be wrong. There are those who can't be wrong. There are those who can't, can't admit it, can't face it, can't, can't believe it about themselves that they're wrong. But until we're really willing to be wrong, we won't ever be right in the biblical studies. Again, the biblical last days have nothing to do with us today, Jeremy. They related to things in the New Testament, times that were in their last days and coming to their end. In my little book, I, in the last days section, I asked the question, what in the New Testament was in its last days and passing away or, or declining? And you could make a whole list of things. But uh, the old covenant was in its last days. The law of Moses in its last days. And all that it entailed. The city of Jerusalem was in its last days. The temple was in its last days. The Jewish nation was in its last days. The Levitical priesthood was in its last days. Animal sacrifices were coming to an end. And on and on and on. Things were in their last days. And folks, that's what the last days were all about. Let me get off on a tangent here just a little bit. It could be helpful to some of you. Most of you know this, as I said. But maybe this will help you to grasp it better. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said heaven and earth will pass away. You know, people read that and they get all wondering about what that's about. And, and most Christians are looking for this earth and this heaven to pass away. But Jesus said in his day that heaven and earth will pass away. Well, what he was talking about was the heaven and the earth where his people live. 
the Jews. He had given them the law at Mount Sinai, and when he did that, he said, I created a heaven and an earth. What's a heaven and an earth for? A heaven and an earth is a place to live. Go back to the garden. God made the heaven and the earth. It was a place for them to live, Brother Bob. And the Jews had their own special place to live. And it was in the covenant that God had given them. That's where our adulterous woman was. She was in that world where if you commit adultery, you get stoned. That was the world she was in. But that world was in its last days and coming to its end. And they got a glimpse of what better was on the scene when Jesus didn't condemn her, but forgave her and get her to send her on, on her way without further sin. But the ending of these things, it was a judgment that was ready to begin. It was the last days of the last days in 70 A.D. when all this was destroyed. It was the end of the world or the age. Not our world, but the Jewish world. Now, the King James is full of the end of the world, but there's nothing about that in the Bible. Everybody knows it's the end of the age. But the world did end. It was the world of Judaism and the world of all of old Israel, and that had been around for some 1,500 years. There was a new kingdom at hand, and Jesus and John came preaching it. I wonder sometimes how Jesus told people about it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They had them have questions. What's it like, Lord? What's it going to be like? Well, they got a glimpse of it this morning there on the temple grounds when Jesus came down and began to speak to them. And the sinful woman was dragged into his presence. But all this was about to end. And with Jesus preaching, another kingdom is coming. No one of the religious leaders wanted to kill him. And they said, if we let him alone, all men going to believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away our place and our nation. They were worried about their jobs, son. They were worried about the country living they had from the tithes of everybody else. They were worried about their position and their status. And so from the time that Jesus began to preach until some 40 years later when the Roman armies destroyed Judea, Jerusalem and the Holy Temple, there was a great struggle between the old kingdom of Israel and the new kingdom of heaven, between the ages of Moses and the law and the ages of the Messiah and grace. And these two worlds were clashing. First Corinthians 10 says, Now these things happened to them, as his example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. For a long time I didn't understand that ends of the ages. But you got the old covenant coming to its end. You got the new coming, new covenant beginning its journey. And those two ends met there in, in the time of the New Testament. It was the, it was the, the back end of one and the front end of the other. And they overlapped for about 40 years until the old was totally destroyed. In the New Testament times, these two covenants struggled to coexist, the old and the new. Two ages struggled to keep their footing and to be in charge. This age was the age of Moses, and the age to come was the age of Messiah. 
And in First Corinthians again, the end of those ages overlapped and for 40 years or so contested each other as to who should succeed. And Hebrews 9 and 8 tells us that while the old covenant tabernacle was standing and functioning, the new covenant could not come into its full glory in its system. The old system had to be destroyed. You ask the question, why did the temple have to be destroyed? Why did Jerusalem have to be burned? Why did the nation of Judah have to be destroyed? Well, it says as long as that existed in Hebrews, then the new covenant could not come into its fullness and into its glory. And in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed the Jewish nation, when they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, the new kingdom of heaven that John and Jesus came preaching about, that was just at hand, was now arriving in its glory and its power. But there was no stopping Jesus. Even though they crucified him, he rose again as apostles continued to preach the message of the kingdom. The old, the old kingdom of Israel was in its last days. And people, that's what the last days were all about. And if you can grasp that, you can understand the New Testament so much better. The new kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom, was in its first days and rising in its fullness and glory and splendor. My message this morning is this. While the kingdom had not arrived yet, it was near and at hand. And Jesus gave our adulterous woman and that crowd he was teaching a glimpse of the kingdom of God. A glimpse of what it would be like to live in his kingdom. What do you mean, Brother Glenn? Well, 2 Corinthians 3 says, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul called the old covenant the ministration of condemnation and death. And the world of condemnation and death was the world where our adulterous woman lived. Look at her standing there. Guilty of sin, worthy of death, and the law of her world said she should be stoned to death. But John wrote, praise the Lord, in 3.17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a great contrast to the condemnation of the old covenant? Hallelujah. And Jesus came into the world for that purpose, to bring another world into being, to bring a better place for people to live, his kingdom, and it would be full of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the big crowd gathered around Jesus and this sinful woman. They'd never seen a man more interested in saving someone than condemning her and exploiting her. They'd never seen a man more interested in forgiving than in condemning. But here it was on display, a glimpse of the kingdom and what it was going to be like. Don't you just love Jesus? Hallelujah. Don't we just love Jesus? And for those word that Jesus was not hard on sin, it's not true. He told her in good old Virginia Beach language, don't you do that anymore. Hallelujah. And our woman got a second chance. Something pretty much unheard of under the law of Moses and the old covenant. I've always felt sorry for that man in Numbers 15. While Israel was in the wilderness, he went out one day and started gathering sticks. Well, no problem with that, except it was the seventh day, Veronica. He was breaking the law. 
he was caught and brought to Moses and maybe he forgot it was the Sabbath. I don't know, maybe the children were cold and he was going to build a fire. Maybe he saw that the family supply was low in the wood box. I don't know and it doesn't matter. No reason or excuse could save him. They locked him up for a little while and then they took him outside the camp and they stoned him to death for picking up sticks. Probably wife lost her husband, Sister Judy. Maybe children lost their daddy. Maybe family lost their breadwinner. And as I've said, I've always felt sorry for this man. It was such a minor crime. It was just like nothing. Could he not tell Moses he was so sorry and he'd never do it again? Could he not get a second chance? No, no, no. The old covenant provided no second chances. No mercy, no forgiveness, but hallelujah. In our story, Jesus gives everybody a glimpse of his kingdom, a glimpse of a better day, and a day that was at hand and not far away. And our sinner woman found mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, and she got a second chance. Praise the Lord this morning that you and I live on this side of the New Testament, not in the age of Moses, and his kingdom, but in the age of Jesus and his kingdom. We're so blessed. But these Jews were always living under condemnation and fear and guilt. That's how they lived. That's how they lived. But they were on the verge of something different, something wonderful, something so much better. The kingdom of God was at hand. And they got a glimpse of it that morning as they gathered on the temple grounds. Soon they would experience what Paul wrote about in Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. And a new day was dawning. And the flesh here is the law. Not what, not what, walk not after the law, but after the Spirit. They had seen a glimpse of it. Jesus had not condemned the woman. He only condemned her sin and commanded her again, don't do that anymore. Today, they had a glimpse of it. Soon they would be living there and enjoying it. Romans 14 and 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's what they wrestle with all their lives. Don't eat this, don't eat that. They keep this feast. But the kingdom of God is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. When I was a teenager, I had an elderly pastor who used to tell me, don't drink coffee. Don't drink tea. Don't drink Pepsis. Not because they might be unhealthy, uh, Veronica, but because the drink was a sin. And as a young man, there was a lot of stuff like that thrown my way. I endured a lot of stuff trying to be righteous, son. Trying to be righteous. Trying to do what I thought would get me into the kingdom of God. I didn't understand grace. And I didn't realize that the Lord had fixed all that. I've told y'all some of these things before. I never learned to swim. Because Christians don't wear bathing suits. I never went to a high school prom. Because Christians don't dance. When everybody else was ordering their class rings in the senior class, I didn't order one because Christians don't wear jewelry. I could not play ball because I might love ball more than I love Jesus. In the PE class, I was the only guy fully clothed playing volleyball. 
because I couldn't go without my shirt and couldn't wear shorts. And I, I endured that trying to do what I thought was right. While this is not the law of Moses, it was the law that other people had put on me. Thank God I finally one day got delivered from it. I even won a, a four-year scholarship to North Carolina State University. Full payment. And the summer before I was supposed to go to class, I finally gave it up. Because the church thought I shouldn't go and I shouldn't do it. That I should just stay where I was. And I'm not saying that it was a bad decision on what my life would have been like if I had gone. But I was giving it up to try to be righteous. Hallelujah. I'm glad I learned one day that he's my righteousness. Hallelujah. Yes, the Israelites' lives was a constant, do this, don't do that. They had rules on rocks, tablets of stone, rules they couldn't keep. But they were about to have the opportunity to change all that for a Savior that would keep them. Hallelujah. And with all their efforts, all their righteousness was like ours, just filthy rags. But soon they could be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Another verse from Romans says, for the kingdom of God, I've just read that. Um, when we glance at the kingdom, Paul told, Paul told the Colossians they could be delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God, of his dear son. And that's what they got a glimpse of at the temple grounds that morning. And, and, and they could be clothed with his righteousness, his peace, his joy. That's another sermon. But don't you just love our Jesus who has done so much for us and who gives so much to us. I'm so glad that you and I live on this side of, of that age. When the kingdom began, the kingdom began there in that age. Daniel had prophesied that in the days of those four kingdoms, the God of the earth would set up a kingdom. And you remember, you remember that was the, the uh, kingdom of the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians, the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, Jesus came. And if he had to come then, then Daniel's prophecy would have been false. But he came then preaching his kingdom was at hand. And God's kingdom had to start up or Daniel's prophecy would have been false. You may feel differently, but I believe that kingdom began at Pentecost and continued to rise in power and glory until the old kingdom was out of the way 40 years later at 70 AD, and then it was in its fullness. Hallelujah. When the old covenant of Moses was instituted at Mount Sinai, the people committed a grievous sin there. You may remember worshiping the golden calf. And the scriptures tell us that about 3,000 men died there at the foot of the mountain. Consider this. When the new covenant of Jesus was instituted at Pentecost, Acts 2 and 41 tells us about 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church, to the kingdom of God. I don't think so to you. that number is just out of thin air. I think it, I think it's three thousand. There's going to be three thousand here, but it's three thousand on purpose. But the nature of the old covenant from its beginning was administration of condemnation and death. The nature of the new covenant, where we live, Hallelujah, is administration of the spirit of righteousness, and three thousand lives forgiven, made righteous, 
got a second chance. Hallelujah. Thank God for His kingdom where you and I can live and dwell today in peace and contentment. Not a kingdom like any other world. John even said, not kingdom, not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. People who are looking for a thousand square miles in the Middle East one day to be the kingdom of God going to be mighty mistaken. going to be mighty disappointed because that's not what it is. Hallelujah. Uh, but it's something within us. We are the temple of the, of the Most High. Um, this is what God wanted was to live in us. Know you not that you are the temples of the living God? And this is what God wanted. He was fed up with the physical kingdom of Israel. He was fed up with trying to live in a physical natural temple. When people wanted, what God wanted was to live in the hearts and lives of people. What he wanted was intimate fellowship with you and me. And his kingdom was at hand. It was going to be a kingdom, spiritual in nature. Luke says, and it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. He just wondered, brother, what he told people. He went, he went about telling them the glad tidings of the kingdom. If this, if this event with the adulterous woman had already occurred, he might have told them about that. I don't know. Was, was the woman there? Was the kingdom glad tidings for her? What a silly question. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. No telling what Jesus said as he went about telling people about the kingdom. If the event with the woman had occurred, I'm sure that he probably used that as well. I don't know, I don't know all he said, but I know one thing that Matthew says. He says in 11, 28, and 30, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Hebrew, the Hebrew people in the days of Christ were heavy laden, with the law of Moses. They were laboring to keep it all and always coming up short. And Jesus gives them a glimpse of the kingdom saying, I'll give you rest. I remember one time in my life when I had a heart heart talk with Jesus about this passage. I said, Lord, where's that rest? I was weary and worn, working so hard. Where's that rest? I wasn't trying to keep the law, but I was laboring to keep a heavy load of do's and don'ts that men had laid on my shoulders. So glad when I learned that the new covenant was not something added to the old covenant, but it's just the new covenant. It's not the old covenant plus Jesus. It's Jesus only. And I remember in my own life when I, one night after church, just kind of, kind of threw up my arms and fell back against the, the wall after everybody else had gone out. Saying, Lord, I can't do this. If you don't save me, I'm going to be lost. Hallelujah. And that was the beginning of our coming to understand grace and mercy and His righteousness. Not my righteousness, but His. And I found rest. And life has never been the same since. And there's more than a ton more we could say about a glimpse of the kingdom. But I hope you have the message.
The man picking up sticks lived a long, long time before the kingdom of God was coming. He was just out of luck. Those 3,000 guys that died at the base of Mount Sinai, Sinai, they're just out of luck. But our woman here caught in the act of adultery, living in the time when the kingdom was in hand. And not only did she get a glimpse of it, she got to receive the benefits of the kingdom as if it had already arrived. The God of the kingdom was on hand. The God of the kingdom was on sight. And if he wanted to forgive her sins, he had to wait till Pentecost when things started officially or whatever. He could do it then. And he did it. So instead of being condemned, she was forgiven. Instead of paying for her sin with her life, she got a second chance. Aren't we glad we live in that kingdom where we get a new opportunity if we slip and fall? Hallelujah. A glimpse of the kingdom. All those people around watching. It said a big crowd. Big, all the people following it said, no, stand there watching. They got a glimpse of what it's going to be like when the kingdom came into its fullness. What a change it was for them. And what a change it was for me. Hallelujah. When I came to understand it a little better. I love you. I appreciate you. And I hope your hearts will be encouraged by just the realization this Thanksgiving season of what we have and what we can enjoy in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you for this thought. Let it come alive in the hearts and the lives of each of us and let us just be so grateful, Lord, that we don't just get a glimpse of it. We get to live in it and to enjoy it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.